The Athletic. I think also we deserved uh, to win this game. But yeah, you don't always get what you deserve. I look more in how we step up. And if you see from the Wolves game uh, into this game, uh, you see absolutely a big progress. It was very good on the ball as well. Uh, we make progress, uh, stick to the plan, uh, have the belief, uh, then you will see. That's Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag speaking after his side were beaten by Arsenal at the Emirates on Sunday. But more than a year after his appointment, are United progressing quickly enough? What exactly is the plan? And what's going on with Jadon Sancho? I'm Ayo Akimulere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Okay, so our guests for this one on this Manchester United Monday are our correspondents, Laurie Whitwell and also Mark Critchley. And as well, we've got senior writer Ollie Kay with us today. Data writer Mark Carey will tell us about Anana's impact on Manchester United style a little later on in the show. But let's let's get started with what happened at the Emirates yesterday. Uh a great game in the end. Um, many would feel Arsenal were lucky to, to win the game. Manchester United, it almost worked. So let's let's get into it, Mark. What do you think Manchester United's approach was? It's interesting because like I've seen loads of different opinions about what the approach was, and I think there was a bit of a split, like first half, second half. I know a lot of people come away from the game thinking that it was kind of like the Aldi ball redux, like sit back and counter. And that was how Rashford scored. And it was how most of the second half played out. But also in that first half, I think United ended it with with more possession than Arsenal. And yeah, I think Anana, his influence on the ball was clear to see. Um, I actually was watching back the game this morning and there was a little graphic that flashed up uh, in the, after the first 10 minutes that said United had made 78 passes. Now, the key thing there mm. was that absolutely zero of them had been in the final third. So... I think what you saw from United yesterday was actually a bit of a departure from what we've seen in previous games. They were knocking the ball around the back, playing slow, playing careful, looking for the right lines, the right lanes to move into, the space to find, but just not finding it. Ten Hag went into this season, I thought it was really interesting, his comments pre-season, he was saying a lot how he wants United to be the best counter-attacking team in Europe, basically. And for the first few games, I've been kind of surprised by just how fast they're playing all the time. They're looking to get the ball forward constantly. And I had a look at like some stats earlier on. It's only West Ham and Forest that have played more direct than United have in the first few games. Yesterday was a bit of a different approach. And it almost worked. It almost worked. It, it, it made for a brilliant game. And if Garnaccio just leans back a little bit or if, if, if Gabriel's not leading forward I don't know what Gabriel was doing on that offside yeah, I mean don't yeah. get me started up the but yeah okay. <laughs> but, but it's inches isn't it and you're talking about a very different game and a very different conclusion to the game but I wasn't totally you know I, I didn't think it was the wrong approach I think it's one that actually works for United's personnel but um, it isn't picking up results that's, that's clear for everyone to see yeah, Laurie, I was just thinking, you know, you can understand the hesitation in, in a style of football, especially against a, a top team like Arsenal. How did you view that game? Yeah, it was tough to properly analyse it in the moment when you've got Arsenal fans all around you going wild and potty, <laughs> drinks flowing, yeah. uh, arms flailing. But I think I would probably err on the side of Nice try from Ten Hag, but still there's clearly room for improvement. And that's what he alluded to afterwards, where I think he went into this game knowing how it had gone in January, where 
Arsenal really overwhelmed United in the end. I know it was a, it was it was quite an engaging game, but I think ultimately Ten Hag just wanted to take the sting out of it. Instructed his players to you know keep the ball at the back and and draw Arsenal's press out of having any potency, um, which it did. I mean, they kind of stood off. And I, it made I thought it made for quite a boring first half. I know there was two goals, but you know a lot of it was you know Anana passing to Lindelof or, or Martinez. I think four of the top five. Uh, passes uh, in the first half were United, you know, back five members. Um, but then again, you know, they, they waited for the mistake from uh, Kai Havertz and that's when Eriksen seized on it and, and set Rashford away. So if, if, they, if that's what they've gone into the game planning to do, then I suppose that's fair enough. I think there were moments, and this is what Ten Hag said afterwards, where they'd got into okay positions, maybe further up the pitch, where they'd kind of got past whatever Arsenal were trying to, you know, uh, do in, in the attacking press and then didn't actually have the initiative to make that pass. I mean, Anthony, I think, was, was isolated a couple of times and they could have gone to him and they turned back. And, and pass it back to Onana. So I suppose in that sense, he could look at it you know, positively, um, but ultimately United have lost again away from home. You know, Two defeats out of two this season. It was uh, one win in the last minute uh, against Fulham, away to a top 10 side last season was their only win. They lost seven and, and drew one against Spurs. So that's a, I think that's a real concern. And then obviously you have the Jadon Sancho fallout after the game, which I think is, is something we can dive into afterwards. But that, that kind of, it's difficult to sort of just focus on the action of the game when you've got this kind of chaos going on around it and, and obviously the result. People will say the recruitment's been poor. People will say that the uh, the, cho- the managers haven't settled in. People will say many, many things about the football side of the pitch. And it will always seem that I will continue to mention the owners. I will, because they're still messing around with this football club. And imagine the un- how unsettled it is behind the scenes. Imagine all the staff at the club wondering whether they've got a job. It creates a real sort of unsettled environment everywhere. And it creates a toxicity that actually exists at Manchester United. Believe me, I know the people there. It exists. And the owners have created that. It's difficult to... Mm. Yeah, Oli, I'm just thinking about both teams, actually. Um, can this amount of unrest... And because I, I, I say this... Because I, I fundamentally think we've still got footballers on the field. We've still got professionals on the field. Can this kind of unrest really affect what is happening on the field? It can do. And I, I know I know when the, um, when the takeover saga looked like rumbling on well into the summer and, and looked like there was going to be no resolution, I think um, the line was coming out of United at some point, this is not going to affect our transfer business. Well, it clearly did because what they ended up doing and you look at Loaning Regulon on the on the final day, loaning um, Amrabat, um, it all it all just looked very make do, a bit a bit, a bit piecemeal, which is which is a bit strange to say when you look at how much the money they ended up spending on you know Anana and Hoyland and Mount. The uncertainty has clearly not been helpful to Manchester United. I don't think it's ever helpful when ownership wants to go and are looking for a way out, and they're not you know they're sort of half in half out. They're half thinking what's best for our say, exit strategy rather than what's best to build the club forward for the next few years. I, I would make a lot of uh, you know I, I think there's quite a lot of mitigation for for Ten Hag. Um, I also look at the fixtures they've lost: Spurs away, Arsenal away. That's two of their tough away fixtures out of the way. I think what would concern me if I were a United fan is that the performances just haven't really been very good. I think, you know, they, they, I wouldn't be as complimentary about the performance yesterday as he was and, and as certain other people have been. I, I think, yes, they yes they could have won it with that Garnacho 
you know, it was such a, t- a tight call. Even when they were drawing the lines, I was thinking, look, this is this is onside, isn't it? Isn't it? And, and, and everyone uh, around the press box when they saw the like the, the Arsenal fans when they saw the yeah. the monitors come up, they were all like, "Oh, it's a goal! It's, it's on Saturday." And then they saw the lines got drawn. Oh, right, actually, no, yeah, we've yeah. got away with one. Yeah, but then and then, and then the the Declan Rice goal, I actually thought there was a foul on Johnny Evans. I've got sympathy on that. Where I don't agree with Ten Hag is that I, I felt looking at their first half performance, yes, they did dominate possession. They had Arsenal where they wanted them in theory for for long periods, but it was so it was. You know, you look at when Manchester City dominate possession and most of it's in that middle third of the pitch and a lot of it's in the final third and they're, you know, they're, breaking, they're working on, on angles, switching it wide. They're dominating possession in a way that's almost toying with the opposition. I just never get that impression with United. I think when, when, they've got, when they're having the ball for long periods, it, it reminds me more of the Van Hal period because I think they've got the defenders and now, now the goalkeeper that can keep possession well at the back. I don't think they've got a midfield that you can particularly play through as a United team. I, I don't think they're that good in possession. When when Ten Hag took over a year ago and was looking at making Frankie de Jong the, the fulcrum of his team, he thought, oh yeah, I know, I know how he wants to play. The team that's evolved is nothing like that. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about all these players, right? And I'm, I'm, I was looking into net spend of Manchester United, what, over the last five years or so. Um, you're looking at, over 600 million um, mm. net spend and then Manchester City, dare I even question their next door neighbours, but like, you know, a lot lower at about 314, 15 million pounds. I mean, is it fair to say that Manchester United have spent money, even though they've got issues with FFP, but just haven't bought that well? I mean, that's why they've got issues with FFP because they aren't uh, able to generate their own funds by sales that much. You know, they've sold a couple of players this year, Dean Henderson, Anthony Alanga. But when you look at what Man City do, it, it pales in comparison. And, and we can get into maybe why City are able to generate those fees. Clearly, there's a bit of um, glitter that teams feel like might be passed on by having a player that's been coached by Guardiola or, you know, that is from, if they can't get in the Champions team, they still might be a very good player. If they can't get in Man United's team, okay, they're probably not worth as much. Um, but that being said, I still think United, you know, they, they spend too much money on players that they could have got for cheaper, you know, not that long before they actually go and sign them. Um, it basically comes down to, in the last couple of years, it's been Eric Ten Hag saying, yeah, let's go for this guy. I mean, even this summer, you look at um, Rasmus Hoyland, you know, United spent £72 million on him ultimately. And, you know, he's a 20-year-old, unproven in the Premier League, um, but clearly has something. I mean, I think that he was probably the brightest spark from United's performance uh, against Arsenal, obviously coming on to make his debut, straight away pinned himself to Gabriel and was showing he can be a really strong centre-forward. You hope that that's going to give United some encouragement for the games to come. Um, but clearly, you know, they, they could have they could have got him for cheaper, you know, this season before if they'd really wanted to. Uh, they, they, they kind of want players to go and show themselves first before they go and spend all the money on them. But then by that point, they're having to spend a lot of money to get them. So it kind of is a is an issue that's never going to be resolved if they keep on with that pattern. Critch, you look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's first season. I'm just looking now, what, finished sixth. Uh, you look at Jose Mourinho, finished sixth. Look at Luis Van Gaal, finished fourth. Ten Hag finished third last season. I mean, it, there's room for improvement, but just some patience. I think, um, obviously, third place, back in the Champions League, a trophy... I don't think if anybody had said that at the start of the season or had said it at the end of the previous season, which was one of the most dismal in United's recent memory, that anyone would have expected that. The the issue is really is that 
<laughs> and I can't. I was just about to say it, and I'm gonna have to say it now. Go this on. is Manchester United. This is Manchester United. That thing, <laughs> because it is Manchester United. And do your job. <laughs> it's it's Manchester United. It means that the expectations are always absolutely at the sky's limit. So you can come in and you can turn a team around that was a, a bit of a, a, a dumpster fire like the season before. And you can turn it around and do all the make all the progress that Ten Hag made last year, but people are still going to expect more. And to be honest, it's fair enough that they expect more because we talk about City, we talk about you know Real Madrid, whoever top clubs in Europe. You, you talk about state spending, club like Newcastle, for example. United still compete with all of those on the money that they bring in. They've still got the resources to be able to do it. They've still everything that they need within the building to succeed. The fact that they haven't over so many years is down to mismanagement, buying the wrong players. You know, it stems right from the top, the ownership itself. So those expectations are always going to be sky high. I think that Ten Hag maybe deserved a little bit more credit than what he got for for how what they did last season, given the base that he was coming off. But I think he, as much as anyone, is clear that there's still a long way to go. And he's he's impressed that. On players, he's, he, it was it was the crux of his speech to them after the FA Cup final at the end of last season. It's what he said all the way through. He doesn't think that the job is done, and he's right to to think that because at United it never is unless they're absolutely on top. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. There's a brand new Totally Football show out right now. It features Raphael Honigstein, Daniel Storey and Liam Tharm looking back on round four of this Premier League season. What's in there? Well, there's Arsenal's mighty win over Man United, Nottingham Forest, a fistful of transfers and a triumph at the bridge. Uh, did we overpraise Newcastle just because they beat Villa? And are we about to do the same now with Liverpool? There's Roy's Eagles taking it to the limit and so much more in this brand new Totally Football show available wherever you get your podcasts. What is the plan then, do you reckon, um, Ollie, for, for Ten Hag? You know, he's got a fully fit squad, you know, Martinez Varan, you know, Hoyland up front doing his bit. Let's say everyone is fit. What does that Manchester United team look like? I think we can I think we can probably guess what it would look like on the team sheet and and work out, you know, who would be starting. And I, I think I think it's fair to say Hoyland would be will have to be starting because I don't, I don't think there's an alternative there from centre forward. I was like Laurie. I was really encouraged by the way he performed in that brief cameo. He, he put himself about, looked like he was really up for it, looked aggressive. Um, I think that will serve United very well. I think on that as well. I like that's the, you know how you were talking about how United were boring you. You know uh, yesterday. I think that at least Hoyland gives them that avenue out, yeah. right? So at least then they can go a little bit direct. But the, but that's the thing. If you know, it's, it's a team that's built around very fast direct running front men hmm. rather than and and you know that that would include Rashford and whoever plays on the right wing um but i don't know that it, it feels like the defense is being set up to to do something different it feels like the midfield is setting up hmm. different i don't know i i i thought this time last year and particularly the first, you know, 135 minutes of the last season when when which went terribly for Ten Hag and they were four nil, four nil down at Brentford, and it looked like he was totally totally wedded to this very sort of creative possession centric game, like he played at Ajax, mm. and it felt like that first half of at Brentford, the four nil game, 
really bruised him so much that that they went out for Casemiro. And I, I I don't think you can play that that sort of De Jong Ajax type football with with Casemiro there. And then the signing of Mason Mount really surprised me because I think although Mason Mount is a really good really good player and very good off the ball, very good on the ball, he's not. He, he he's certainly not somebody that you'd put in that a kind of Barcelona type midfield or an Ajax type, type midfield or a Manchester City type midfield. I, I don't quite know what it's meant to look like at the moment. And I, I mentioned the Van Hal type football yesterday in the first half, and yet their set their attacks were sort of really quite sudden. The best days of Solskjaer type attacks. The, on the one hand, you've got this sort of desire to play out from the back. I don't think the midfield suits that and the forward line is something different again I I, I, I just see it as a as, as a bit of a mis- mishmash at the moment I do expect the picture will be rosier in a a few weeks time but um, Ten Hag's United have not evolved the way I expected to I think results have been good but I don't think the direction of travel has been perhaps quite what I was expecting just when you mentioned mentioning Mason Mount there, Ollie, it occurred to me um, after the game, Tenag was asked about Sofian Amrabat for the first time since he's signed and he made the point that he's wanted a, a number six, another defensive midfielder basically to support Casemiro if he's you know uh, needs a bit of a rest or even play alongside him if he needs to kind of shore it up. Because previously he said, you know, with other midfielders, we have to make compromises. So he's referring to Mason Mount there, really, you know, and, and, and you've signed him this summer. You. And Fernandes, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and, and Christian Eriksen, yeah. obviously. But, but kind of like, if that was what you wanted, the summer four, and you, as you rightly say, De Jong was his absolute ideal uh, to begin with. It does seem odd that Mason Mount would be your first summer signing of this window. And I know they then, you know, they had Onana and Hoyland, and that, they were the two key positions really. But it was a, it's a funny, as you say, it's a funny thing to kind of say. Yeah, we had to compromise with midfielders. I don't know exactly where Mason Mount goes in, into this team because he did his best work for Chelsea off the wing, right? Really, uh, when they won the Champions League, so. I mean, maybe he maybe he starts, you know, instead of Anthony on occasion. I don't know. Um, but it, as you allude to, Ollie, like it just there's a little. There's definitely some workings that need to be had to figure out what United's sort of best team and even best style is. Well, a player that was thought to be transformational as a signing in particular for Manchester United in terms of their desired way of playing is Andre Onana, and we asked our data writer Mark Carey to look into this for us. Andre Onana's arrival has completely changed the way that Manchester United build out from the back. It's still early days within the season, but Onana's 43.5 passes per 90 is a higher average than David De Gea's in each of his last five Premier League seasons. So it goes to show just how much United are looking to utilise their goalkeeper. Of course, this was the case on Sunday against Arsenal as well, but I think this is interesting to see that Arsenal actually allowed Onana to, to make so many passes during the game and they were quite clever in the way that they allowed United to have the ball in deep areas, allowed Onana to, to distribute it very easily and they maintained their out of possession structure rather than going to press too high and I, I think they thought if if they did press Onana too tightly they knew that he had the, the technical quality to play out of pressure, find the spare man in, in lucrative areas and break Arsenal's press and potentially get United on the attack. So instead, what Arsenal did was largely stay in shape um, and United didn't really threaten Arsenal with too much territorial dominance throughout the game for for any really long period. And this is borne out in the numbers as well. So 44% of United's total touches within the game were in their own defensive third. And 
that was the highest share among all of the four games they played this season. And areas like that are of little threat to, to Arsenal in that area of the pitch. Anana allowed United to play a different way and he's still continuing to, to do that, but I think Arsenal didn't fall into the trap of pressing Anana and losing their structure on Sunday, and that was a key part in terms of the narrative of the game. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Uh, Jaden was um, uh, uh, on his uh, performance on the training. We didn't select him. You have to reach uh, a level every day on Manchester United and we can make choices in the front line. Um, yeah, and so for this game, he wasn't selected. Okay, let's talk about the elephant in the room, Jaden Sancho, uh, because he took to social media to answer his manager who had explained that he was left out of the squad because of his poor performance in training. Jaden said, please don't believe everything you read. I will not allow people saying things that are completely untrue. I have conducted myself in training very well this week. I believe there are other reasons for this matter that I won't go into. I've been a scapegoat for a long time, which isn't fair. All I wanted to do is play football with a smile on my face and contribute to my team. I respect all decisions that are made by the coaching staff. I play with fantastic players and I'm grateful to do so, which I know every week is a challenge. I will continue to fight for this badge no matter what. Oh, Mark, everyone knows what this lad can do. Everyone knows what this lad did at Borussia Dortmund, but just hasn't managed to click at Manchester United, has it? No, I wouldn't say since, you know, since he arrived, really. Um, you'd struggle to name a handful of really impactful Jadon Sancho performances. Um, is that down to him? Is that down to United themselves? I think you could probably argue there's a bit of both. He came in, he arrived as a player who I think everyone knew did his best work off the left wing, who's arguably one of the most important players at Manchester United. It's Marcus Rashford. Mm. And he also, I think as we've seen over the past few weeks, only really, if you're going to get the best out of him, you need him cutting in off the left wing. Where does that leave Sancho? He's been tried on the right. He's been tried in the middle. Ten Hag's moved him around. There hasn't really been a, a moment where it's clicked. Um, and now we come into this situation, uh, which I think really, like, it, I guess it dates back to the start of last season. I mean, I remember start of last season and with Ten Hag's appointment, expecting Sancho to be one of those players that really kicked on. And he started all right, scored against Leicester, scored against Liverpool. Um, that Liverpool goal, a huge goal in the course of the season. Then he missed the games just before the World Cup and obviously wasn't included on the mid-season training camp. 
and instead went to Holland where he worked with some of the Ten Hag's coaches. And at the time, I think, you know, Ten Hag was saying, well, his levels had just dropped. It was a fitness issue. But he also, and the key quote that really came out from it was that he said that it was a combination of the physical and it was the mental as well. And I think that kind of generated a lot of sympathy. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a sensitive subject. It's one that I'm sure managers wouldn't bring up lightly in public. Um, and mm-hmm. so he came back to Carrington. And I remember actually being at, there was um, when he was just coming back, uh, he came on against Leeds, scored, I think it was the winning goal against Leeds. And honestly, in all, all the time that I've spent covering United, the the end of that game and him being clapped off by the Stretford end and having his name sung, everyone behind him because of because of what he'd been through essentially was a really kind of heartwarming moment. <laughs> um, but again, you expected him to kick on after that and it just hasn't happened. Um, we, we wait to see how this shakes out. It, you, I, I was trying to think today of other examples of when a manager might have said something quite publicly about a player. The thing with uh, Pep Guardiola and Calvin Phillips yeah. came to mind last season. And, you know, that... When managers come out and say something, they're usually trying to make a point. And I think, you know, whether it's because of his training levels or not, if, if say, you had a player that wasn't performing well in training, I think a lot of managers would just say, look, he's I'm the, I make the decisions, he's working hard, you know, we'll see if he gets in the team sooner or later. That's what you'd usually say. To make a point of it, there's obviously something deeper there, which Jaden has alluded to in his own statement as well. Well, he's quite, he's publicly questioned the manager and that, that never really ends up well. So um, so we'll see how it shakes out over, over the next few weeks. You see someone like Anthony and how he's performing. Jaden Sancho is probably not performing. He's probably performing in a very similar way. You can understand why a player might be disgruntled and they're watching Anthony get all this time on the pitch with not much of a finished product. Yeah, I mean, we, it'd be fascinating to just actually see these training sessions so we can make our own judgment because <laughs> maybe, yeah. you know, in Ten Hag's eyes, Anthony's you know, training brilliantly and, and Sancho isn't and that's what, you know, that's where he's coming at it from. Maybe there's other issues. We're obviously delving into this to try and bring uh, readers, subscribers the, the full picture uh, when we can. As uh, Mark was just alluding to there, in terms of other players, I thought of Anthony Marshall under Ralph Ranić, where he basically, <laughs> Ranić accused Marshall of, of being unfit to play or saying he was not fit to play and then Marshall came out on Instagram and denied that ultimately that ended with Ranić leaving as Man United manager he was always interim so it was always going to be the, the resolution to that and Anthony Marshall is still a Manchester United player starting games at the Emirates um, how does this one resolve itself uh, because Eric Ten Hag to, for all account is going to be United's manager for a, for a long while really um, uh, given how much faith they've shown in him so far you know, particularly in the transfer window does Jaden Sancho have to evaluate what he's going to do as soon as January I mean obviously the, the transfer window is still open in, in, in Turkey and Saudi Arabia I'm not saying that it's it's reached that stage just yet maybe but you know, he was sent away uh, to the Netherlands last season. Um, this isn't the first time that there's been, you know, a, a kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, you know, well, this is this is clearly a, a disagreement, a, a row, you know. Um, th- this is quite quite provocative stuff from Sancho. I mean, he might say that Ten Hag even saying anything of that nature is provocative in its in its own right, but Ten Hag's answer was, was only he wasn't performing well enough in training, so I didn't pick him. You know, that's it's kind of a straightforward answer. His, his response to that, I think, is then, you know, poured... Uh, fuel on the situation on the on the flames so how does that get resolved and also what's he alluding to with the there are other reasons for this i mean that's quite an interesting line in all this um it, i don't know can you really sort of pop that one out there and then not actually give the full details of what you're talking about um so i think it's a really fascinating situation and and will be uh, telling in terms of how it is resolved you know from ten Hag's position his, his authority he's had a lot of control and he's, he's, he's brought discipline in 
He's dropped Marcus Rashford for being late for team meetings. He's got rid of Cristiano Ronaldo. He's sold, well, he's, he's let David De Gea go. How does this one resolve itself? Yeah, I, I think how we dealt with Cristiano Ronaldo, especially with the outburst, was really, really interesting in terms of exercising control that he is a manager of the club and he makes the decisions. You've got someone like Jadon Sancho not performing to the manager's standard, and I'll put it in that way, seemingly publicly. How he deals with this moving forward, considering he's now bringing in Amrabat, he's now bringing in someone like Hoyland, who are definitely his type of players, would be really fascinating for the future of Manchester United in the next coming couple of seasons, really. Yeah, it, it was interesting. It was a, there was a report out um, fairly near, the, it might have been towards the end of last season or at the start of the summer, where which suggested that United, because they were you know didn't have quite enough money to do all that they wanted in in the transfer market that they might listen to offers for it, which really immediately surprised me because I, I, I think Sancho is a fantastic talent. In my mind, I'm thinking, you know, he's still young. He's only, he's not been there long. He'll come good. That's never really been sort of confirmed or denied. But just looking at the situation now, and he's, he, you know, a third season has started. He hasn't exactly hit the ground running. I think there's been a real opportunity for him to nail a place down because, I, I, you know, I, I think Anthony's been patchy. I think Rashford, you know, sometimes has played through the middle. I think there has been a really great opening for for, for Sancho to make that place his own. Um, and he hasn't done it. How do, how will it play from here? I don't know. But I mean, I, I was really surprised that Ten Hag said as much as he did on Sunday night. And then I was even more surprised that uh, Sancho said as much as he said. It's clear there are bigger tensions than any of us realised. It's clear there's a bigger frustration on Ten Hag's side than we might already have realised. And it's clear that Sancho feels like he's not getting a fair crack of the whip. And I can understand it. When I mean, if United had three, four forwards that were all firing on all cylinders all the time, I think it would be very easy for Sancho or... Gonacho or Pellistri or anybody else to to accept when they're not getting in. But to me, Rashford, although he had that brilliant spell in the middle of last season, has been a bit hot and cold. Uh, Anthony has been sort of hot and cold sometimes within the same match, within the same five minutes, within the same movement. Martial has been more cold than hot since about September 2015. If Anthony Martial is starting games ahead of you in 2023, I don't think it's a great state of affairs for, for, for Sancho. And I think repeatedly Garnacho is coming off the bench and looking really lively. So I, I, I'm starting to worry for Sancho at Old Trafford. I, I really am. I, I was one of those who had really a high expectations for that move. Marky, you were sort of nodding your head there as uh, Ollie was talking. Uh, isn't this indicative yet again of, I feel, where Manchester United might be? You've got all these loose bits, really bits of brilliant quality, but it just doesn't seem to be meshing together. What is the plan yet again? Brought Sancho in. Do we know what we want to do with him? Brought Mason Mount him. Do we know what we want to do with him? Brought Anthony in. Do we know what we want to do with him? And then you've also got Harry Maguire, Johnny Evans, who might be your fourth, fifth choice defenders um, playing in a, in, in a massive match against Arsenal. Yeah, look, I think it's been the story for several years now, almost a decade, that the squad is bloated. The squad isn't managed properly. The, the recruitment is... Lacking precision. Um, these these are all legacy things at Manchester United, and um, they continue to this day. They still affect what they are able to do in the transfer market. I think just just what you saw last week really was evidence of that. You know, 
again, you can have some sympathy for them that they're chasing round for an emergency left back because Luke Shaw gets injured. You can't really foresee that. But the the kind of haggling that we saw over Amrabat, who's a player that Ten Hag said yesterday that he'd wanted all summer, that was the type of profile that he was after, to go into the final days of the windows, scraping around for 2 million, 3 million euros here or there to try and make it happen. Um, having to wait for players to go out before you can make, before you can get it over the line. That's just indicative of of, of planning. And look, I like I'm I'm a I'm a little bit hesitant to to lay it at Ten Hag's door because I think he's he's been around a year and this is something that dates back a lot longer. And also, as ever with United, things will change. Like narratives shift. Um, I think as Ollie mentioned before, they've got a few more games on the pitch at least. They've got a few more games coming up now in the league that are a little bit more favourable. I know they've got Brighton up next, and that doesn't that isn't looking too good, I'll be honest. They've got all the tools required to hurt United, I think. But after that, you can put a run of form together, things will settle down. But that's it. You know, that is what we're used to now. Boom and bust, if you like. Uh and so we're in a bust period at the moment. Um and still just waiting for that coherent plan and um way forward to emerge. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I want to ask one more because I just it just hits me when when you say that, Chris. Is that Ollie? You know, isn't this also indicative of the levels of, of the Premier League? Like, it, it's not necessarily about pouring money at it. It's about having an idea of what you want to do with that money. That structure needs to be so cemented. You know, Chris just mentioned Brighton. You know, they sell well. They bring good players in because the system is so solid and the ideology is so solid that when the players do come in, they've already predicted what on earth they want to do with these players, how those players could develop and and, and how the team necessarily wants to play. Yeah. And and if we if we use Sancho as an example, I mean, nobody's saying he's a talentless player or, or that he's not got the qualities to, to thrive. I think he went into a Manchester United at a time when just, just when things seemed to be to, to have turned a corner in the summer of 2021, yet it ended up being one of those busts um, early early 2021-22 when Solskjaer was sacked and Ronaldo arrived and all of that. It ended up being a sort of chaotic, a chaotic season. It's been, it's, it's been a period of huge change. And you compare that to, for example, what players get when they join Manchester City, where even if there's a, a rapid turnover of players at times in certain summers, like this one to an extent, there's there's always a real sense of what they want from their players. What you know that players will get time to fit into a system, and that happens. And that's happened at Brighton, and it's happened to it's happens at Liverpool. And the well the well run clubs that know what they're doing year after year. Arsenal are now one of those clubs, which they were, certainly weren't three or four years ago. And United have to make the jump to be one of those clubs where everything looks proactive rather than reactive and everything you know players are settling into a system which works and addressing the room dynamic which works whereas really for the last 10 years nothing nothing has worked very consistently for very long so um a lot of these players are good players that if they'd moved if they'd gone to another club you could imagine them hitting the ground running or or doing very well after six months or so so it's 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 often about moving into a, a really coherent team and really coherent system, really coherent dressing room dynamic. And I think Ten Hag has made improvements in all of those areas, but um, it's probably not quite where any of us would have expected it to be after a year. I think it, I think it's, I think in terms of becoming that really coherent team, it's going to take longer, clearly. 
Okay, let's end it there. Huge thanks, Mark, Ollie, and also Laurie. And also a reminder that if you're enjoying the pod, we'd love it if you could leave us a little review on Apple and Spotify. Make sure you hit follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. It already matters. So make sure you do that. And also you can read more from Mark, Ollie, and all the other brilliant writers here at The Athletic. Sign up today for a special limited time offer of just £1 a month for 12 months. An absolute bargain at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.